We're continuing our message uh, this week, our message series in 1 John, entitled Living in the Light, right? Um, John wrote to the church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, to instruct them on living this life of a Christian, uh, living this life, walking in the light, as he told us last week in chapter 1, walking in fellowship with God, which is kind of mind-blowing, right? In, in our own flesh and to the world. It's kind of a mind-blowing idea that we can walk in intimate communion and fellowship with the God of the universe, that he even cares what we're going through, right? But he does. And so it's walking in this relationship we talked about last week in this fellowship with Christ, confessing our sins, not allowing ourselves to walk in darkness, but walking in the light and recognizing my own um, instinct, my own proclivity to sin in my own life, right? Um, that, I'm, that I'm prone to wander, as the hymnist wrote. And in that, trusting myself to Jesus. And so this week, we're continuing in chapter 2. Um, and John is talking about what I've entitled the look of light. So to walk, we talked about walking in light. So what does that look like? To walk in fellowship, what does it look like in my life in a very practical sense to those around me? And how do I know that I am indeed walking and living this kind of life in the light of Jesus Christ, in fellowship with him? And he, he addresses that here in chapter 2. And so we're going to look at First um, John chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and we'll kind of camp out there this morning. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment that is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. Speak beyond anything I could say. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and in our minds um, and draw us to you. Draw us into the light for some of us. Draw us closer in fellowship with you to live our lives in such a way that, that is abundant life with hope and peace and joy that you created us to live with. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's interesting, John, at the very beginning of this chapter, he says, calls them children, right? Well, remember, this is written about 95 AD. 
And so this John is the disciple John who walked with Jesus. So if this is 95 years after Jesus, John's old. Um, and he calls them little children, but not primarily because he's old, but primarily because he's trying to grow them in the foundational truths of the gospel. He's, he's, he's sending this letter to the church in Ephesus and also the churches that are surrounding, and they're beginning to grow. He's, they're beginning, you know, these churches are beginning to get a foothold and reach, um, reach people for, the, for, the, for Christ. And so he's laying the foundation for them again of the gospel. This relationship between God and man and what it means to you and to me in my everyday life. John's, me- John's letter here, this message is not, a, is not a, uh, just a philosophical or a theological doctrinal uh, report. He's talking about everyday living. This should affect your life and my life. It's more than religion. This is how we were designed to live, living the life that pleases God and is best for us. So what does life in the light look like, right? Well, first of all, it's a life marked by confidence, Confidence. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. See, that first part is when a lot of people check out. If you do sin. Oh, great. Here he goes with the sin again. Now he says, you do sin. That's what he's talking about in chapter 1. He says, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of of the whole world. So why, why do I say confident? Why is this a life of confidence? It's confidence because I'm forgiven. I am forgiven. Even as we talk about, you know, this chapter one was a pretty, he came out, John came out with both barrels, right? Talking about if anyone walking in the dark, if anyone walks in the darkness, he's not in the light. If anyone uh, sins and you do sin, if you say you don't sin, you're, you're making God out to be a liar. So you do sin. Like he came hard with the sin part of it, right? You do sin. So confess your sins. He's letting them know there's, um, that if there's a break in your walk with God, if there's a problem between you and God or me and God, it's my sin. That's what breaks that fellowship. If I'm confused this morning, if I'm feeling dry in my spiritual life or my walk with Jesus, God has not moved. And that's what John was saying. John has not moved and he will not move. He is faithful. My emotions and feelings are up one day and down the next, right? My desire to do the right thing is good some days. And some days it's just about surviving. And if that's you today, good news. The good news is God hasn't moved. God is faithful. He stands steadfast and loving, and he cares about you. And your sin and my sin need not be a barrier between him and I. I don't have to walk in shame. I don't have to walk in that guilt. John said at the end of chapter 1, If anyone sins, and you all do, there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is uh, restoration. Listen, the gospel message is not about guilt. I know it might come across that way sometimes as we listen to preachers and we Christians sometimes. It's not about primarily guilt. It's about grace. You know you're broken. I know I'm broken. You know you're sinful. I know you might not want to call it sin. Maybe that word has been tainted for you, but you know you choose to do the wrong thing. You know that we all know that about ourselves. 
The good news, the gospel is, that's, that's not headline news. We try to bury it, but that's not. Deep down, we all know that, and God sees that. The good news, the gospel is, there is restoration. There is res- redemption with God. He's provided healing. He's provided an advocate. This word for advocate is the same word. It, it speaks of like a defense attorney. He stands in for us, right? The Greeks used this to describe someone who would step in for someone in a trial to appeal to the judge for mercy for the accused. See, Jesus stepped in. He didn't say we're innocent. He didn't step in and make an argument like, come on, let God, Father, let, let Steve go. He, he didn't really do that. I mean, the, the, the facts aren't, they're confusing, you know. No, no, I'm guilty. He stepped in and took the punishment for me. He stepped in and took my guilt on himself. He asked for justice to be put on himself. God is a just God. So there's no suspending God's justice. He took it. So that's what it means to be our advocate. He's an advocate for you. John is saying, listen, if you sin and you do, you have an advocate. You have somebody who's fighting for you. You have somebody who is covering you. Why Jesus? Why is Jesus this advocate? Why, why, why him? Why not myself? Why not just, I can just work it out the best that I can. Why not, why not um, you know, the Pope or Buddha or Gandhi? Why not? There's lots of good, good people throughout history. Why Jesus? Well, number one, Jesus is the only one who's qualified to be our advocate. He's the only one to stand before the Father and take our punishment. He said there, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is fully qualified. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made him who knew no sin be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was perfect, is perfect. You and I are not perfect. We are fallen. We live in a fallen world. We are not a pure offering. So we cannot cannot make amends for our brokenness, our sin, our rebellion on our own. We're driven by manipulation, insecurity, narcissism some days. Right? It's about me first and foremost in my, in my natural habitat, left unchecked. That would be asking someone else besides Christ to, to be my representative before God, to be my bridge to God would be like you know, a murderer stepping up in the trial to take my punishment. Well, he's got his own punishment coming. He, he's not qualified to step in for my crimes. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Therefore, because of that, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus is a righteous sacrifice, because he was perfect, because he's qualified before God Almighty, He can step in for us. He can be our advocate. Only a pure sacrifice can cover sin. So so why? Because Jesus is qualified, but also he satisfied the justice, the justice that was needed. Verse 2 says he is the propitiation for our sins and not, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Not only is Jesus qualified, but he did it. Right. He stepped in just because you're willing, just because you're I mean, just because you're able does not mean that you're willing. Right. Jesus 
not only was righteous and perfect and pure, but he was willing to step in for us. For instance, think about it like this. It's like, you know, remember the scavenger hunt we had in the fall and we had a winning team, right? And we're supposed to give that winning team (laughs) gift cards. I've been walking around with those gift cards in my backpack now for a long time. I just haven't given them to you yet. If you're on that winning team, I have them. If you remind me, I'll give it to you. Um, but I'm, I have it, right? I have it. I'm just not willing to give it, I guess. Not willing to remember. I'm just not. Remember, Jesus was, was qualified. He's pure and righteous, holy lamb of God, and he did it. He stepped in for you and for me. Remember the, the thief on the cross who looked over at Jesus and said, and the people that were around said, if you're the son of God, come down. Come on, you have all the power. Come off the cross. He could have. Jesus could have called the angels. He could have stepped down. He could have put his own fame and reputation and life above yours. But he went all the way. He was and is faithful. There's an old song I used to sing when I was a kid. Um, it was called The Day He Wore My Crown. Old song. But the, one of the verses says this. He could have called his holy father and said, take me away. Please take me away. He could have said, I'm not guilty and I'm not going to stay. I am not going to pay. But he did pay. See, propitiation has the idea of presenting a gift to the gods in, in, in this time with the Greeks so as to turn away the displeasure of the gods at this time. They would have, they would have heard that word and, and had this picture. The Greeks thought of this in, in the sense of man essentially bringing the gods into their, their favor. But that word means the atonement, the reconciliation. Jesus satisfied justice before a holy God. He did it. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus went all the way to the cross. He didn't just talk about good things. I've told you before, I have a good friend. He likes to ask me, why can't we just, you know, why can't we just treat Jesus like a good, good guy, a good teacher, loving, look at the way he treated people. That's all awesome. Without the cross. I say, that's why he came. He came to pay your price and to, to reconcile us before a holy God. You know, history shows uh, throughout the years that there were many who came before Jesus and even after saying that they were the, claiming to be the Messiah and they all fizzled out, they all faded out. There's hardly anything about them in history. They backed off, they went away. When it came to paying the price, when it came to being the sacrifice, they were found out to be counterfeit. Jesus went all the way. So he's qualified. He satisfied justice. He did it. And finally, why Jesus? Because he did it and it worked. It worked. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It is a guarantee. If I put my trust in what Jesus did as my advocate on the cross, I will be set right before a holy God. If I put my faith in him alone. Jesus accomplished reconciliation for me and for the world. He says, there for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You remember Jesus cried out on the cross? Tetel, oh, I knew I was going to butcher this. Tetelestai. Remember that? It is finished. He 
cried out on the cross, it is finished. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been or what you've done, what Christ did on the cross settled it before you and a holy God. It is effective, his blood that he shed, and it is available to be received by just putting my faith in it. It's not up for debate whether we're sinners or broken. So if, I, if you're sitting here this morning saying, that's the part I really don't have a problem with, come on, we're, nobody's kidding anybody. And we even say that. We'll, we'll say that publicly. Nobody's perfect, but we say it in kind of a cute way that we could put on like a little sign, put on my office. Nobody's perfect. Be patient. Right, but before a holy, perfect God, He requires holiness. Jesus did it. And it's all grace. It's all mercy. It's good news. It's not bad news. Isaiah 53, 4, and 6, 4 through 6. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The whole world, that means you, that means me, that doesn't just mean Peter and Moses and Noah. That's you this morning. So I don't carry it anymore. Jesus is my advocate. He took the guilt, the shame, the punishment. He stepped in and satisfied all the righteous requirements for me. Not only to stand before holy God one day, but to walk with him in fellowship today. Because, as Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's where my confidence comes from. It's not me. It's Jesus. And so the life lived in the light, the life lived walking with Christ, looks like a confident life. But it's also marked by fruitfulness, he says here. He says in verse 6, Whoever says he abides in, in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We studied about this last week, right? Walking in the light, walking with him. Listen, I know we like to sit back and go, well, the world rejects Jesus because they're just sinful, they're evil, and they don't want him. Okay, there's, there's some truth for all of us in that when we reject Christ. But I wonder how many reject Christ because of who they see as his representatives in the way that I live my life, in the way that I walk in the light or in the shadows, claiming to be a Christian and yet walking in darkness. He's called us to live a questionable life. You know, we've talked about that. We talked about that last year at our retreat. A life that looks a certain way that's different. That's, it's not the same as walking in the darkness. He says in verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him. So he, he lays out a couple big tests here I want us to look at. A couple big tests as to whether or not I'm walking with Christ and do I know Christ even. First is the behavioral test. He says to walk. You should be walking like him. Jeremiah 31, 33 I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, this is not just a, a list of 
do's and don'ts. This means God has put his spirit within me. He has written his, his desires on my heart. His desires become my desires. Right? There's evidence of the spirit of Christ working in my life, residing in me. So John says, basically, check yourself. Are you walking like he walked, like Christ? In the way that I behave? Right? Galatians chapter 5, we studied a, a couple months ago. There's a list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all those things. Am I getting less selfish? Okay? I claim to be a believer. I claim to be a Christian. Am I growing? Am I being transformed? Because that's what His Word tells me. Am I getting less, less afraid? Am I getting more compassionate? Am I changing in how I relate to others, my selfishness, my self-centeredness? It's a real test. If you want to know, don't just ask yourself. Ask the people that you trust that are around you, the people that are closest to you. Do they see some transformation happening, something different? So it's in my behavior. It's also in regards to sin, right? At this time, remember we talked about last week, Gnosticism was on the rise and this was this idea, you know, that the spiritual is, is holy, but the physical is uh, evil. And so there's no way that Jesus could have been both. And actually in that, it says that we can't even be sinners. Because there's no way for us to be holy. And so that's just natural. The flesh doesn't matter. Only the spirit matters. No. John says here in the first part of this chapter, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. There's a transformation. There's a movement that happens. Because, listen, sin destroys us, and it offends God. Period. It's not only my outward life, but my, my thoughts, my attitudes. Are they changing? Do I see the Spirit of God? Do I see evidence of the Spirit of God moving in me? It's awesome because, uh, Sonia, I don't see her this morning, but when she was going to be baptized we sat down and just talked about her journey of faith and you know at one point we asked her do you consider yourself a christian she's like she said no you know and then i mean months and months went by and then asked her another time she said actually i do i was like explain that to me she's like i i, I believe and as as i believe it's like i see myself changing she's like i see i see you talk about the spirit in your life i see like my desires shifting, I see my attitude towards people shifting, I see my, my perspective of the world shift. It's beautiful. God runs to us through Christ, through the cross, runs to right where we are in our brokenness. We say anyone can come to Christ. That is the call. Anyone, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you do or what you've done, come to Christ. He will take your burden. He will cover your sin. He will make you new. But here's the thing. He won't leave you the same. Because sin destroys, sin ruins, sin ruins marriages, sin ruins relationships between parents, and between siblings. Sin destroys the world, it destroys the earth. God loves you too much to leave you in that. And so there's this fellowship, there's this confessing, there's this walking with Him and, and watching Him change me. So I hope last week, as I said, just confess your sin and because you're going to sin. I hope that didn't dishearten you to say, well, I just can't, I can't help it. no. Jesus has broken the power over sin. We just have to, we have to keep bringing it to him. He will transform us. 
Sin is not eliminated in the believer, right? Because we live in a fallen world with fallen bodies. Just like John said in chapter 1, if you say you have no sin, that's not true. So we have sin, but, but our relationship to sin has changed in Christ when we become a Christian. David Gidzik puts it like this. A Christian no longer loves sin as he once did. When the Holy Spirit comes in, when, we're, when we put our faith in Christ, he begins a transformation process. A Christian no longer loves sin as he once did. A Christian no longer brags about his sin as he once did. A Christian no longer plans to sin as he once did. A Christian no longer fondly remembers his sin as he once did. A Christian never fully enjoys his sin as he once did. A Christian no longer is comfortable in habitual sin as he once was. See, the power of sin, the the draw of sin is always to try to enslave us. It's always there. Always at the door, knocking. But when we cast our cares, we cast our sin, we confess our sin to Christ. He changes us when we come to Christ. He says, John says here, there ought to be a real change in the believer. In verse 4, it says, whoever says, I know him. Listen, to know him and to know about him are two different things, right? To know about Jesus and to actually know him, to walk with him are two different things. I hear people all the time say, oh, this just sounds crazy. You Christians say that, you know, you say some silly prayer and then you just do whatever you want with your life. I said, and this is what I tell people. If you have somebody in your life that says, I'm a Christian, and you see them gossiping and backbiting and slandering and hating, you have every right to question whether or not they are a Christian at all. That's what the Bible tells us. There should be fruit there. It doesn't mean it's a work salvation. It just means when when we come to Christ For salvation, his Holy Spirit enters us, enters our life. He enters our lives. He begins to work a process in in us. And listen, even as a true believer, we can walk in rebellion to that, right? We can walk in the darkness, as John said. But basically, we got to do this. We got to not listen, not look at Jesus. Stay out of the word. Don't pray. I'm going to miss church more and more and more because I don't want to hear it. We have to do the, you know, la, la, la thing because he is speaking. He is seeking to grow us, transform us because he loves us. And that brings me to the, to the last point. Life in the light looks like love. He said, verse 7, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Then verse 10, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. This is that second test. We talked about the behavioral test. Look at your life. Look at your attitudes. Are you changing? This relational test he talks about, he says, this command, it's a little confusing in these first few verses. He said, this command to love is not new, right? It's not just a Christian thing to say, I love you or or to want to love others, right? You hear that? um, You hear that from other religions, other groups, in his book, The Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis, in the back, he talks about all the world religions, and they, they all have certain amount of ethical commands in there, right? 
So what's so revolutionary about this command? What's so new about it? Because he says in verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him. See, what is new is what is in Jesus, the love of Christ. No one has ever demonstrated and endured like Jesus has for love, for his love for you and for me and for the Father. Tim Keller says Jesus gives us a model and a motivation here. Remember I said before that the gospel is not about guilt, it's about grace because it is a love story. It is God pursuing you and pursuing me. And the pinnacle of this love story is seen in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection. For God so loved, but God demonstrated his love. Those are passages of scripture that talk about why Jesus came, because of God's love for you. But to see it and to know it, we must see it in Christ. Too often we rush past really looking into the eyes of Christ, really sitting and meditating on the sacrifice of Christ and how he demonstrated his love for us. Remember in the garden? Remember it says Jesus was sweating drops of blood? Remember he was at the, at the, in the garden there praying and he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. But he was, he was wrestling there. He was struggling there. This was burdensome. This was heavy. Remember on the cross, what did Jesus cry out? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is not just some cute picture of Jesus on the cross. He suffered and died Isaiah 53 says, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and afflicted. But he was, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. This was what was on Jesus on the cross. Chastisement that brought you and I peace. He was being crushed on the cross for your peace and for mine. His wounds were so that I could be healed, so that you could be healed of my sin, your sin. I think I've shared this before, but I remember several years ago when The Passion of the Christ came out. Remember that movie and churches are renting whole theaters and all that stuff, and we went and saw it. And I remember we went in, uh, I forget where we were, Louisiana or something. We went in, we rented this whole theater for our church. It was packed out. We watched that movie. And there are issues with the movie, but I just remember thinking this when I got finished. Everybody was filing out of that theater. We're all just kind of, you know, really close to each other getting out. And there was not one sound as everybody walked out. Because you know what it, you know what it did for me as I was walking to the car? What I was thinking. This is what God thinks of our sin. The beating that Jesus took. The pain that he took, the chastisement that he took, right? I love to talk about the love and grace of God and his gift to me and all those things, which are all true, but they're all a result of Jesus 
voluntarily being crushed for me because of his love for me. We need to sit in that more often. Surely Jesus must have felt the judgment and condemnation of hell for the sin. He didn't get a lighter punishment for sin, right? If you and I are punished and eternally separated from God and by death, and Jesus didn't get a light version of that. He was crushed. Why? Why hast thou forsaken me? What's the Father's response? If we look all through Scripture, what's the, when we think of the gospel, what, what's the Father's response? Because of them. Because of him. That's why. That's why. This is not the love that we know today. The love of the world only goes so far. You hurt me, you disagree with me, you're out. We got, we got more t-shirts and hats about being kind and nice and loving and respectful and all that. As soon as you do something I don't like, you're the enemy, you're evil. This is a different thing. In our personal relationships, we're, we're unfaithful, we're moody. We refuse to be vulnerable over and over again, right? Our culture tells us, protect yourself. Put up walls so you don't get hurt. Jesus gave it all for you and for me. And see, this is the model of this revolutionary love. This is revolutionary. Never been loved like this. It's also motivation for you and for me. He says, which is true in him and in you. Listen, you may be here this morning and you don't believe it, right? You don't believe that, especially this... What people would say today is like this primitive idea of the cross and this dying on the cross. And you may not believe that. Well, if you say this morning, I don't believe that, then you're saying that no one has ever done this in history, right? No one has ever loved you like that. Therefore, no wonder John says here, it's impossible for you to know this kind of love or be able to love that way. Because you don't believe it. You haven't accepted it. You haven't put your faith in it. Christian, do you see why for you and for me, we're held to such a higher standard of loving one another and loving others? Because we've said, yes, I believe, I understand. I've been to the cross. I've looked at the sacrifice of Christ. I've seen him under the judgment and chastisement being crushed for my sin. I've seen that. How can I look at that and hate my brother? How can I hate you when that was done for me in my sin? The worst of me, Jesus saw, and that's how he responded. And so as believers, we are held to much higher standard. It's not that we have to love more. We have to love correctly. The love of Jesus, we've got we've to allow him to flow through us. It's nothing I can do, but he can do it through me. He says, this is seen in Jesus and it is seen in you. Surely we would have a different perspective, right? If we were at the cross that day. Remember the centurion soldier who was at the foot of Jesus as he's being crucified? And he heard him talking to the thieves. He 
He heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and all those things. And what did he say? He said, truly, this is the Son of God. Listen, let me encourage you. Take time to dwell in that. The love, the demonstration of God's love for you through Jesus. That's part of that fellowship we talked about. That's part of walking with Christ is spending time sitting at his feet That's why we do the Lord's Supper, right? That's why we do communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget the sacrifice. Don't forget the blood poured out. Don't forget my body given up for you. It also touches my sin life as well. It's not about salvation. Now as a believer, if I I sin or, or don't sin... It's not a legal requirement now. Jesus has paid for that on the cross, but it's a crime against love when I sin. When I sin against my wife, it's not always necessarily illegal, but it's a crime against love. It hurts. Because of love. And when we look at what Jesus did and when we say, yes, I receive that. Yes, I want that. I want you to pay for my sins. And then we, then we walk away and we just get into the world and we forget about the love of Christ. And we forget about looking on him and fixing our eyes on him. Then we begin to love like the world loves. And it's all temporary and it's all self-centered. And it's all about what have you done for me lately. And the reason that love is a sign of real Christianity is because it's a sign of a new reality in my life. He says in verse 10, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. He abides in the light. He is in a new world. I see the world in a new way. I see the world through the light of Christ. I have a new perspective, the Holy Spirit in me and working through me. My attitude towards success and failure, towards everything. If I say that I'm seeing everything in the light of Christ and do not love, how how can that be true? There's no way that you can be focusing on what Jesus walked through for your sin, his love, and still hate. To do that, we have to block out Jesus, to walk in the darkness, look away from him and his love. So to live in that new reality means that I've seen and understood And I am understanding more and more as I grow in my faith. This love that Jesus has for me and has for the person next to me. And it ought to produce at the very least the desire. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, this ought to at least stir up. His word, his spirit ought to at least stir up the desire to love better. To love like him. To rest in his love as well. And and the thing is, the, the hard part about this is John is actually talking about Christians and other Christians. It says in verse 9, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Whoever hates his brother is in the dark. He's talking about brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. One writer says, sometimes it's easy to think following Jesus would be easy if there weren't for all these Christians. And listen, many, many Christians live as the walking wounded, crippled by the scars inflicted by other Christians, right? Yet, the command still stands. If we can't love one another, 
then I have no way to claim a real love for God. Our relationship with God can be measured by our love for others. That's the kind of love that Jesus produces for the most difficult people, for the most disappointing people. Because guess what? That's you. That's me. John doesn't mince any words here. He doesn't leave any room for compromise. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brothers still in darkness. So, so what? First of all, are you confident this morning? Are you confident? Are you living in confidence that, you know what? My relationship with God is good. It's right. Not because I've done well lately, not because I'm figuring it out, but because I've, I've, I've accepted his gift. I've accepted my advocate, Jesus, what he's done for me. I accept that. I don't completely understand it. I, don't, I can't figure it out. But I believe it's true. I believe it's my only hope. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if so, then you can be confident in your standing with God. So if, you're, if you say, yes, I've accepted that, I know I'm forgiven, then you can be confident. Understand, you're not trying to work your way to God. When you're, when you're wrestling with sin, when you're confessing sin, it's not, you're not working for your salvation. You're, you're, just, you're just in this relationship of pleasing your Father. You don't have to live with insecurity of feeling unloved or uncared for or distant from God. Jesus is your advocate. So that gives confidence, right? That's one thing we tried to give our kids as they were growing up. We made all kinds of mistakes. But we said, you know what? I want you to know that you're loved just as you are. So don't go looking for love in all the wrong places. You are loved. So be confident in that. Secondly, are you fruitful? Is there fruit in your life? Are you growing, Christian? Are you being transformed? Is there an attitude about sin in your life that's different? Is there evidence of a desires of Christ being evident more and more in my life? Is my attitude towards sin, towards others, is my desire to be closer to Christ? And finally, are you loving? Are you making space in your life to gaze on Christ and what He's done, the demonstration of God's love for you? Rest in the love of Christ and then allow him to move through you to love others as he changes you. The lovable and the unlovable. Remember what Jesus said, if you love only the people who love you, what good is that? If you're struggling loving, is it that you don't understand the love of Christ that he's demonstrated to you? Or is it that you're, you're not walking in the light, you're not fixing your eyes on him, pressing into him? Listen, if you will this morning, if you will, his love will change you. It will grow you. It will transform you. It, it will flow through you to those that are hurting and broken all around you. And that's, what, that's, what, that's the look of light, the light of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love, God. Your love, in pursuing me in my brokenness, in my sinfulness, in my rebellion. You pursued me. This morning you're pursuing me still. 
You're pursuing all of us. You're speaking to us. So, Lord, I pray that we would adjust to that. Lord, there is no darkness in you. You are light. Lord, may we receive your word. May we adjust our lives to it. Lord Jesus, may we fix our eyes on you more and more so that the fruit of righteousness, so that we are being transformed by, uh, through our desires, through our attitudes, through our actions, our behaviors, our relationships, because you are reigning freely in our hearts and lives. Lead us in that this morning, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.